Well, thank you, uh, music team, for leading us this morning, for tuning um, our hearts, tuning our minds. Uh, the instruments, uh, the songs, the content, thank you uh, for all of that. We also want to say a thank you to uh, the technical team that you don't see, uh, but they are here, and because they are here, you can see us and hear us. And um, of course, as we're live streaming, uh, the technical complexity has increased. Uh, so we're thankful for all of these uh, fine men and women who give of their time, and we really appreciate it. And as uh, Tyler has said earlier, uh, if you are connecting with us live stream, there is a comment section on YouTube, and you can uh, greet us there, greet one another there. And uh, in the future, we will have opportunity for uh, questions, and we'll respond to those questions in the, in the near future. And also, just a, a thank you to you all, uh, Westview, uh, for receiving Kimberly and myself. Uh, we have felt received, we have felt loved and appreciated as we have begun to settle in. Uh, we are out of boxes, so that stage of settling in is, is completed. But the settling in process will take a while, and we look forward to being able to see you in person. I tell you, uh, it's so wonderful to be able to connect over video, but there is another dimension to being in person. Uh, the, I mean, we know this, but even just to hear the music, to be in the service, uh, uh, it just it changes things. And so we invite you uh, to register, and as, um, as things uh, loosen up, we want to just always be at capacity here. And so we invite you to do that. So these two uh, hockey players were on the bench. They had just had a successful shift. I think they had scored a goal. And they were uh, on the bench. And the camera had, had uh, picked them up. And they were talking to each other. But as uh, sports people do when they know they're being filmed, uh, they were kind of covering their mouths a little bit. But they were talking. And the announcers were going, what are they saying? What are they talking about? What, what's going on? And it was very intriguing. And it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, church and preachers. What, what do preachers talk about? And sometimes people don't know that I'm a, a preacher, and so we get talking, and eventually they find out, and they wonder, what, what is it that you say? What do you talk about? I thought that was particularly germane for this morning as this installation service. Uh, what is it that you can expect to hear from me? Uh, what is it that I will be talking about? How will I be living? But then as I was reflecting on that, I thought, well, that could actually extend to all of us, all of you. Uh, what is it that, that you say? What do we as the church, as Westview, what do we say? And I mean much more than uh, merely our words. What do our actions say and communicate? Our, our time, our attention, our social media, our finances. If we're completely uh, forthcoming and, and, and honest, uh, the church has had mixed messages over its history. That has been made evident again in the recent news of these uh, some 215 unmarked graves of children found on a residential school that was run by a church. Uh, 
The church has had communicated mixed messages over the years. One of my uh, dear friends who is a, a Treaty First Nation, uh, has a Treaty First Nation heritage, uh, his dad was a residential school survivor. And I heard him talk about it. He and his sister were saying that they actually, uh, as disappointing as this news was, they were actually not surprised by it because of the systemic uh, corruption. And as I heard him pray, he asked the Lord, uh, be with us in our outrage as people carry out these atrocities while claiming to do the will of God. Another dear friend of mine who was uh, a young, he's a young man, he was involved, a, a victim of what's called the 60s scoop, which went from the 60s into the 90s where uh, people, government, removed children from their biological parents, indigenous children. And this happened to this young gentleman of mine, this young friend of mine. Uh, it happened all the way into the 90s. And he was saying, too, how uh, the, the hurt and all the memories that come back and how the, the church wanted people to have these people converted. And he said, at some point and someday, will we be seen as, not as drunk or lazy, but as wounded image bearers. Bearers of God. So the church has had mixed messages over the history of the church. So then, it isn't just, what will you hear from me, what will I say, but what do we as Westview, what do we say, what does the church say? And I mean not just in response to that. I mean just as a matter of course, as a way of life. What do we say? I heard this uh, story of a gentleman who uh, had announced to his wife that he was going to go to church. Uh, they had talked about it for a while, back and forth, and yep, today's the day he said, I'm going to church. All right, she said, see you later, and he went off to church. He came back home around noon, and uh, she said, so what did they talk about? He said, sin. And she said, oh. And he said, yeah, and I have the impression they don't like it. And that was his summation of what they talked about. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's kind of true, too, that one message that we convey is basically what we're against. We're against this, we're against that, the church is against stuff. It's a, a message about don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. You know, it reminds me of that song, uh, sign, sign everywhere, a sign. Anyway, don't do this, don't do that. It's a shoulds, a pile of shoulds. You should do this, don't do this. And closely related to this sort of the churches against stuff is conversion, that the churches emphasize, like, just convert people. Not discipleship, but convert. And another message that the church has given and communicated is uh, moralism. Uh, a renowned sociologist by the name of Christian Smith coined the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism. And he has, had done a, a lot of research with young people, teenagers, young adults. 
And what he had gleaned from that research is that young adults have arrived at the conclusion that religion or Christianity is about moralism or therapy. The message is live a good, happy life, and central to living a good, happy life is to be a good, moral person. That seems to be the message that's being picked up. Or that it's some form of therapy, that God is therapy, that, that there's a therapeutic benefit. So believe in God because it's good for you. And if we haven't conveyed one of those messages, often a church can get locked into talking about uh, ourselves. Things are going well. We seem to be, uh, you know, have different successes. And so the church tends to talk about itself and uh, becomes about drawing people to the church. And it becomes like this attraction model where we land up with dry ice and uh, disco balls and uh, all kinds of stuff to, because we're attracting people. Or we talk about ourselves and our experience and resume and, and so on. So what are we saying? What do we say? And the thing is, people are listening, and they're observing. And there is a conversation that is going on in person, in social media. There's a myriad of forms of places where people are communicating and talking. And this is precisely what was on the Apostle Paul's mind when he addressed the church in Corinth, that early section of his letter to the church in Corinth. Paul was a church planter. He planted a lot of churches. He was also a prolific writer. And he wrote several letters to the church in Corinth. Two of them we have in the Bible. Second Corinthians was written about 55-56 AD to the church in Corinth. The city was established uh, in the 8th century uh, BC already. It was a wealthy church, a growing uh, city rather. A wealthy city it was a growing city. The economy was a magnet for the influx of people and immigrants. Another interesting point for context, is that about a third of the population were slaves. And what the people in this city really valued was strength, physical strength, and wealth. And they couldn't perceive at any time that poverty or any form of weakness could have anything to do with uh, blessing, or that a person could be blessed by the Lord, or any have divine relationship if they were weak or poor. And it was into this context that Paul was writing. Kimberly and I had an opportunity to visit Corinth. Uh, we were back in uh, Greece uh, a few years ago. We went to Athens, that was remarkable, and then we went to uh, Corinth. We took a a tour of it. This reminds me of uh, a little bit of, of like what Calgary could have looked like if it had been in 8th century and on, because this is kind of like Center Street. And um, that, that hill at, uh, that you see on the horizon is the Acro Corinth. It kind of reminds me of, of uh, what they call that, Nose, Nose Hill? Is that right? Yeah. 
Uh, but it's remarkable to see all of this. These, this is just part of a glimpse of the ruins of Corinth, the city of Corinth. Now, when we took the tour, it was just an off-the-shelf, general, mainstream tour. But the tour guide was talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul that we're going to get into here this morning, he was talking about the Apostle Paul and identified where he, approximately where he had landed with his boat. She talked about his uh, uh, visit with uh, Corinth and his connection with Corinth. She talked about Paul as a matter of course because they understand that this is a very real part of their Grecian history. It's, it's real, and it's a part of their history. As a matter of fact, we were people from all kinds of different walks of life all over the world on this tour, and we get to this one point, and the tour guide says, you know, I think it's only appropriate that we're, where we're standing here is approximately where Paul was addressing a group of people. She said, I think it's only appropriate that I read 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, who knows what kind of people we were around, but yet that's what happened. Because what we're talking about is real, and they understand it as part of their history. And so as we, as we get into it this morning, the, the challenge that uh, when Paul writes this letter to this church in this city, the problem is that he's not there. He's absent from the church, he's absent from the city, and in his absence, other leaders start stepping in. And they start confusing the congregation there with all kinds of worldly wisdom. And they start confusing the congregation in the church with, you know, well, maybe it's business acumen that is really the most important. And all these other notions and philosophies and psychologies that come about in a diverse metropolitan city. And so it's to this that Paul writes his letter, and this section that we're going to look at this morning, where he wants to make clear what he talks about, what his life communicates, what he says with his words, and when he says we, he's meaning him and the apostles, and what they talked about with the congregation when he was there, and what he's challenging them to as well, the message of the church, and what he wants them and encourages them. You know, it reminded me a little bit of what uh, Tyler was saying a couple of weeks ago about making the main thing the main thing. So it's like this bringing back to Paul saying, okay, here's actually what we talk about when we use our words and our actions. So I will read 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5. Therefore... Since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the, the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. 
and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. We do not proclaim ourselves. If there was ever a guy who had reason to sort of talk about himself or proclaim himself, uh, it would be Paul. Paul had a very impressive resume. Uh, you could see part of it. We're going to pop it onto the screen here. I mean, his pedigree alone, he came out of the stock of Israel, the, the tribe of Benjamin, sort of like the elite of the elite is his pedigree. He wrote extensively a number of church plants. He had all these missionary trips. Uh, he was educated uh, by, by elite teachers. He was a mentor to many leaders. I mean, the list goes on. He had an impressive resume. He could have talked about himself. But what's also shocking is that even though this is his resume, he says, we don't proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And the other shocking part about that is that when Paul became a follower of Jesus, when he left Judaism and became a follower of Jesus, he also had an extraordinary experience of hardship. I mean, this guy was like, it was brutal. He was imprisoned. There were times when he was whipped. They called it 40 minus 1. I don't mean a spanking. I mean he was lashed 40 minus 1 on numerous times. Beaten many times. At one occasion, they stoned him and left because they thought he was dead. Shipwrecked at sea, and the list goes on. Impressive resume. No, not going to talk about that. Even though I'm a follower of Jesus and I had all this hardship, I'm still not proclaiming myself. I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. That's some kind of uh, commitment. That's some kind of conviction. This word proclaim is interesting too. We don't use it too much in our kind of natural conversational English vernacular. Proclaim. Proclaim is different than teach. Proclaim is description. It is a description. It is describing. It is an announcement or a description of things, painting a picture versus an explanation. And you see, we can proclaim by using words, but we're also proclaiming by the way we live. We are giving people an image of a picture and understanding through that way of proclaiming. Through our words and our actions, and all of this is pointing to, as Paul says, to uh, Jesus as Lord. It's describing the way the world is. And so Jesus is Lord. Lord is another one of these words that, oh, if we've gone to church, we've heard that word a lot. But what does it really mean? It is, again, it's not a word or term that we're very familiar with, really, understanding what it means. There are two parts to the concept of Lord. One part is the title and responsibility. There's a title and responsibility that comes with this word, this meaning. So, Jesus is Lord. The, the title and, and, and responsibility is that He is a supernatural master of all creation. That He is the owner, the ruler, 
that he exercises his authority. That's one part of what Lord is or king. The other is a relational aspect to what Lord means. It really means leader. I don't know, if, kids, if you remember, maybe you've played this game called Follow the Leader. And what happens is you have one person who is the leader, and the others of you are supposed to follow whatever they do. So if they walk this way, you follow them this way. If they walk this way, you follow them this way. If they decide to walk funny, then you do that walk funny. If they decide to point their arm, you point their arm. If they decide to go low, you go low. And you try to do, you follow, and you do in step with everything that that leader is doing. That's follow the leader. That's what Lord really means. It actually starts to fill in when we talk about disciple. Disciple is actually a, a combination of student and follower. So when we say we're a disciple of Jesus, we're studying Jesus, what he says, how he lives, and then we're following. So that's what disciple is. It's, it's kind of follow the leader. So when Paul says, I'm proclaiming Jesus as Lord, that's in essence what Lord really means. And everyone is following someone. Everyone is following someone. You might be thinking that you're following your own instincts, your own, I'm going to do things my way, you know, uh, Following your, you, a, a lot of children, they're following an adult that's nearby them. They're, they're mimicking. They're following. We're all following. And what Paul is trying to remind the church and he is proclaiming is that we follow Jesus. He is our Lord and our King. And then he explains why. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? In verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For or because it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This, this is the God who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory, the doxa of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we proclaim Kiriso, the Greek, we proclaim Jesus Christ to the Lord, Kyrios, because it is God, the God who has said from the beginning, let there be light, has also been, is also the one who has shed light, has given us the knowledge of God's glory as we see it in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is reflecting God's glory. And we understand that because it is the God who established things to begin with who also gives us that understanding. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, says in, in chapter 2, starting at verse 8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's workmanship. We are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this knowledge that Jesus is the very face of the glory of God, that He is Lord, that knowledge comes from God as well. And so nobody can lay claim, nobody can boast and say, well, I'm smart, I figured it out. Nobody has a resume that will ever reach. No pedigree, no ethnicity, it is all Him. So there's no room for boasting. He is the source of that understanding and that knowledge. So it is the same God who created light out of chaos that gives us this enlightenment. This same God who is love and light, who's very different than the small g God of this world, who confuses and hardens and is the epitome of darkness and loss and ultimately death. So this is what you will hear from me. And I hope that my body, my life, work, the way I live, uh, proclaims, describes, depicts Jesus Christ as Lord. And I hope that is the message that we also uh, have as a church here at Westview. You know, I, I acknowledge that we need to get to know each other and I know that congregants like to have, you know, personal anecdotes uh, from the pastor in, in sermons and during worship services. And I acknowledge that we need to get to, to know each other. I've always been a little uncomfortable with talking about myself and certainly talking too much about myself. And it's for this reason. You know, as we, as we, we sung the song that uh, Sarah led us in, uh, you know, it reminds me of John 3.30. Uh, he must increase and I must decrease. What I want to be seen as doing is mimicking, right? Being a Jesus follower. And it becomes inviting and attractive so that others want to know what's going on. The good news that Jesus Christ is Lord means that love is in charge. Love rules. And I know that's difficult to comprehend or even imagine when there are so many relationships where love is lacking, where hate is all the rage. You don't have to go far. You just drop into any comment section. No, don't. Avoid the comment section. Uh, except on our YouTube channel, but on Facebook or on any social media. Don't even go there because you're just going to get vitriol and hate and anger. But love rules. Jesus embodies that. God demonstrates his love toward us. And just at the right time, he sent his son into this messy life of ours to show us a way out, to show us a more excellent way, and to lead us towards Him. So God is not against. He is for. 
He's not against a tribe or a tongue or a nation or an ethnicity or anyone. He is for. He is calling. He is inviting. And Paul is so convinced of that that he will endure lashes, shipwreck, and stoning. And he will get up. He will dust himself off. And he will say, the message is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But is He our Lord? And for Jesus to be our Lord is really threefold. We believe. We believe that Jesus pre-existed that He was sent and He came in human form. We believe that He was crucified according to Scripture. We believe that He was buried. We believe that He was raised on the third day according to Scripture. We believe that He appeared to many, that He is ascended and is sitting at the right hand of God, and that He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe. The second part, if Jesus is our Lord, the second part is that we profess that. At some point, we say that, we live that, wait, we profess it, we profess that we believe it. But the third part, if really Jesus is our Lord, then like follow the leader, we embody that. We embody it, we live it, we are recognized by how we love and how we live. People see Westview and they say, there's a group of Jesus followers. Or there's a group, something weird's going on. I need to find out what that is. Because they're different. It's a whole lot of them. And when they get together, they're different as a group. What's going on? And then we have this opportunity to talk about Jesus, to describe the way the world is, and to invite people into it. Jesus is Lord. Love is in charge. And so, what do you say? Would you be willing to follow Jesus? Would you be willing, faith is an appropriate, it's a fitting response to this. To believe, to have faith that Jesus is king and ruler and one of love. A yes begins the step of faith. It's also an acknowledgement that something is wrong. I mean, we see there are seeds of good and also evil in the world. We see it. We see seeds of hurt and of violence, of gossip and of envy. And to follow that part of our human soul leads to ruin and damage. It creates victims and it creates poverty and hurt. 
But the alternative is to turn from that side. And the Lord Jesus, God our Creator, has invited us through His Son Jesus to turn from that. We can get help and rescue and love and curing from that part of our soul as we turn to Him. He's willing to do that when we say, Jesus is my Lord. That's the invitation. And fellow workers, uh, it's a phrase that Paul likes to use, friends, followers of Jesus, what do we say? Are we willing to acknowledge and confess when we have not been following Jesus? Are we willing to be humble? Are we willing to follow the leader? I'm going to invite the music team to come to the platform here this morning. As we conclude, we're grateful that you joined us by live stream. We'd like to hear from you, and in the coming weeks, we'll have opportunities. We set that up. I want to invite you, if you don't know about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, I mean, Paul says, I'm a slave to Jesus. That means, I mean, friends, it means that he follows him no matter what. And Westview, what, what do we say? What, does, what, does, what do our finances say? What does your money say? What does your time say? What does your attention say? What do your comments and clicks on social media say? Because that's what it means to be a slave to Jesus. It means that I'm going to follow Him in every area, in every aspect of my life, no matter what. And I'm going to study, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to just do that. I am so convinced that is the only way. And if you want to know more, if you aren't following Jesus and you want to know more, just connect with us somehow at Westview. Go to our website, hit the comments, do something. Let us, let us have a coffee uh, at a distance or whatever, we'll figure it out. And Westview, my open question to you is, what do we say? What will we say? We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord.
church, as we close out this morning, I want to remind us of the words of the Apostle Paul that he shares to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, 13, all of God's people here send you their greetings. And so we send our greetings. We, like Paul, long to see you again. And how wonderful of news that we will have that opportunity next Sunday that we will see you here again in this space. And so church, let me remind you to register for our in-person worship service next Sunday at 10 a.m. Registration will go live on our website tomorrow morning, so please register early for that. We encourage you again to always check out our website. Make sure that you are subscribed to our YouTube channel. Uh, Click that notification bell as well, and that way you don't miss any of the content uh, that we will be uploading and sharing in these weeks to come. And again, you can always catch our sermons on your favorite podcast app, and we'd love to have you listen there as well. Church, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Let me read these words over us as we draw our service to a close. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Church. We'll see you next Sunday.